by their fruits you shall know them. By, 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 by their fruits. fruits you shall know them welcome to buy their fruits my name's bryant and i'm here with my co-host jeremy jeremy how are you today brother i'm doing good man uh got my car up and running which was a pain in the butt but god is good and faithful and i uh, feel feel pretty accomplished so uh, my day is going a lot better than it was yesterday but uh today we have on matthew miller how you doing brother i am doing well it's uh, good to be on here i'm really hyped about the show because you know i love god's word so it doesn't matter what the circumstance is or who is a part of the circumstance. I love talking about God's word. So I'm pretty hyped to be here. Yeah, I mean, we know you love God's word. That is for sure. You have uh, been very influential on, uh, you know, in, in my walk and many people's walks. Um, you know, it's been in the last what, maybe six months that I started digging into all your research and, and all that you do in the kingdom. And you've changed my life, man. And uh, all glory to God for that, for sure. Today is one of the topics that we're going to talk about is is one that definitely changed my perspective and uh, we're going to get into relocation versus the rapture doctrine and uh as you know or as most people know at least there's three main theological views on the rapture you got pre-tribulation mid-tribulation and post-trip but matthew's here to bring in one that you've probably never heard of and it's one that makes the most sense it's i feel like everybody should know it so matthew you take it away brother you know how to break it all down. Give it to us. Well, let's start from right here. Whenever you say that, whenever you give that that diatribe, those three main ones, you got pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. The problem is, and this is a real problem, is that that's not what the Bible has to say in its entirety. It doesn't look at it that way, and it never did. Because you're looking at it as if it's the event when you're going to heaven. And that's what we really have to decipher right here everybody needs to figure this out are you going to heaven before you die are you going to heaven before the tribulation if christ gets back before that tribulation begins that's the real question and when the rubber hits the road what you're really talking about whenever you say the word rapture you're not actually talking about an event going to heaven you're talking about a changing when do you expect to be changed? Now, everyone across the board agrees that that event is synonymous with a resurrection. There is no scripture where these two things are disconnected one from another. Let's take 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can't get around it. The resurrection happens in concert. You go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Once again, the resurrection occurs in concert. So, a lot of people will, will will try to come to grips with this. Well, you know, I'm going to be taken to heaven. I will be changed before the tribulation. When, when you look at the book of Revelation, for one, there is not only a pre-trib a pre-trib rapture event there. The resurrection event is titled the first resurrection. That's really what we're dealing with here. When is that resurrection? So there's a pre-trib resurrection? Of course there's not. 
me say that again. Of course there's not. The Bible stands clear why there is a first resurrection. And if there's a first resurrection, there's a second resurrection and only a second resurrection. There is no third, fifth. There's only the first resurrection and then the final resurrection when everybody's judged. That is true. That's what the Bible says all the time. So really what we're looking at here is whether or not the Bible states in Isaiah or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, any of the minor prophets, does God ever say you're going to go to heaven? And where is that event? Uh, surely we should be able to find entire chapters on an event of that magnitude. We do not. Not once, not twice. No, we never. The only biblical evidence for anybody a desiring in their heart to ascend the throne of God is extremely bad. We know that from the book of Isaiah as it describes those events of being extremely bad. So really, and we can concentrate on the greatest prophet because the greatest prophet, the first and foremost one, is of course Isaiah. What does it say? It repeatedly states that God is going to gather you. He repeatedly states that. He repeatedly states it. Literally, we can go through entire list. I mean, for one, let's just talk about Isaiah. He says this in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. He says it in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He says it in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 5 and 6. He says it in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 18. He says it in Isaiah 54, verse 7. He says it in Isaiah 56, verse 8. He says it in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 4. He states, all those times in Isaiah, God the Father is going to gather you. Now, you can take this to the bank, gentlemen, and you all know this. You know this, that Jesus Christ is never going to gather you. He's going to marry you, and that you know, don't you? Absolutely. Amen. So how can we have this many chapters in Isaiah? How can I have this many chapters in the greatest prophet saying that God the Father is going to gather you, and yet everybody rejects that event? Isn't that a little bit mind-boggling? It is. It's very confusing. It's confusing if you've been entertained your whole life, but if you've been edified and you know that's what Isaiah states. That's what I, Ezekiel states. And like I said, we, we can do this all day long. God emphatically and repeatedly states this, that he's going to gather you. It even gives fantastic detail. He even gives this place names. For instance, in the book of Isaiah itself, he calls this his own personal vineyard. That's what he says. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what I say. That's what God says in Isaiah. So this is the real trouble we got here because Really, the verse of verses that everybody knows, and it amazes to me how nobody can actually quote where it's at, is they all state this. They all say, yeah, but we're not appointed into wrath, right? Oh, yeah. That's the go-to. Jeremy, do you concur? Absolutely. So we do agree that there is a machination that's going to have to happen that we are not going through that wrath. And there is no question about that because you have to have the entire Bible make sense. That's what you have to do. And that's exactly what the Bible does. The Bible states that God himself is going to kick this thing off 
and he's going to gather you to a special place. He repeatedly states this, not a few times, not some. He repeatedly states this. He repeatedly states it. Take, for instance, let's go to the first time in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11, 12. Then it will happen on the day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand, the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathos, Cush, Elam, Shinar, and Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he will lift up a standard for all nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Why does everybody have a problem with that? It's true. I mean, every time that we hear something about the end times and uh, like the big events, you know, God the Father is really never mentioned. Nobody ever separates the events from, you know, God the Father and then Jesus Christ. It's never separated. All I hear about is Jesus. Well, let's do another one, shall we? Let's jump to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flocks. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. Why does everybody have a problem with that? I think we see, uh, you know, time and time again that these points being driven home. And then, you know, we, we also feel like the inner circle sometimes where Christ is telling us, they just don't have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. But then I, often I think that that people get comfortable, right? They get comfortable in their beliefs and they've invested so much time or in some cases maybe have even preached these concepts for years and they don't want to let go. They That, that pride has a, a huge effect. I mean, we know that the, the pride is a huge part of it, you know, just not wanting to admit that they are wrong. But uh, I dare say uh, if there's anybody you don't want to uh, butt heads with, uh, it's going to be God. And and like you said, he's really driving these points home. This isn't just a casual, you know, the, the whole pre-trib rapture, it, it falls in the hands of maybe two verses. And how many did you just name from Isaiah alone speaking otherwise? That's right, speaking otherwise. But remember, those verses that you mentioned, the two, okay, we can we can familiarize ourselves again. Basically, their their entire dogma rests upon First Corinthians chapter 15 and First Thessalonians chapter 4. That's basically it. And you're basically talking about a total of four verses, and both those chapters, every verse in those chapters says this: the resurrection occurs synonymously with your changing when you get changed when you when you receive your anastasis anatomy that happens in concert with the resurrection that's what those chapters say so that's what we need to hold to and if we know that event happens in revelation chapter 20 there's no debating that happens at the return of christ Amen. You know, I, I've never really gotten, okay, I've never ever been a pre-tribber personally, and I could never see where they're getting their doctrine from. Now, the way that I see it is they, they, they pretty much think that Christ returns twice. Right. And it doesn't make any sense. Because that's not in any of the prophets. Right. Yeah, they also conflate the uh, the tribulation with God's wrath. When I've always held to the belief that the tribulation is when Satan or the Antichrist is persecuting the saints. So let, let's talk about that. How do you justify then Christ's words in Matthew 24? Because 
Here's the real kicker. Christ himself states that a lot of what you're talking about, that's called birth pains. That's not part of the tribulation, correct? Right. So you have this discombobulation. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the authority. He's not He's not a footnote. He's not a footnote in the KJV Schofield Bible. No, no, he is the authority. And he states, you are going to go through birth pains. Now, he's not calling them the tribulation, so this must be true. We're going to become very uncomfortable via his own words before this shindig gets kicked off. And one thing is for sure, those birth pains and the tribulation have to be separate. However, however, it doesn't mean you're going to be changed. You can be gathered. God himself can gather you somewhere. He can relocate you to a safe haven. And that's exactly what the Bible states repeatedly. Now, not sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, he states it repeatedly. He's going to do that. He repeatedly states that he is going to relocate you into a safe haven. And then the tribulation is going to go by. And this is exactly now. Let's read the next chapter. How many raise your hand, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever read First Thessalonians chapter five. A lot of you are probably silenced right now because you're like, I don't even know what that chapter says. I just know the rapture verses in chapter four. The entirety of chapter five of Thessalonians states this, ladies and gentlemen, God states that it's going to get kicked off with his great day. And he himself. Now, God, the father is saying this in chapter five. God, the father states that he is going to protect your soma psyche pneuma. What's that? It's your body your mind, and your spirit. God the Father says he's going to protect that and carry that until the perusia of Christ. That's what the chapter ends with, the perusia of Christ. So God himself is stating that he is going to sustain your, your body, mind, and spirit until Christ returns so you can marry him. Now, a lot of you are probably in shock right now. It can't say that. Of course it says that. Because that's what he means. So when you realize that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, you need to write it down, ladies and gentlemen. Because whether you like it or not, if you ever get married to Christ, you're only going to approach that event horizon via 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. God the Father himself is going to do exactly what he's promised to do. He's going to gather you together, and he's going to sustain you until the perusia of Christ. Now, all the verses that I read from Isaiah, that's what all those verses mean. That's what God means. That's, that's what he's going to do. So no one understand this in your heart. You're going to go through birth pains. Yeah, I think that's probably another contributing factor as well as those those tactics of fear. You know, fear is definitely weaponized by the enemy and used against us. And to think that they um, that I'll just use myself to think that I went through much of my life thinking that I would be rescued before any terrible events take place, any great and terrible days, you know, anything, anything of that nature. Right. And then to find out, wait, we're going to we're going to be here for that. Right. Then that's going to start building walls. People are not going to want to hear that, you know, but I would say that the fear of the Lord is healthy and we should definitely be afraid of what is to come. But we can also rest assured knowing that if 
we are seeking his face, if we are married to Christ, right, then he is not going to let us be, I mean, just think of Job, right? Uh, there, there may be some things that were not pleasant to go through that strengthen his faith, but he would not allow him to be killed, right? And so um, when we can start to grasp our minds around some of these concepts and say, okay, there is more here than I've been told. You can clearly see it if you look yourself. You had mentioned, you know, people only being familiar with the rapture verse of, of chapter four. How much farther even into four did they read into? Of, of exactly. course, they made it to five because they just stop where they're told to stop. And I was guilty of doing the same myself and and cherry picking these verses. And then, of course, even using those to to mislead others. So then believers are weaponized against believers at that point. Exactly. I completely concur. What you just stated is a historical fact. What you stated is exactly the case. But this is what God's word says from front to back. There is coming a time that there's going to be birth pains. There is coming a time that there's going to be a tribulation. Between those two events, we are going to be gathered by God himself. And he is going to take us to a safe haven. This is exactly what Revelation chapter 12 states. Also, if you have eyes that can see, read Hebrews chapter 3. It says the exact same thing. It gives the exact same narrative. At the, mm. end, at the end of the tribulation, you are going to be in this safe haven, and you're going to see Christ stampede across the cosmos, and you're literally going to see him enter your upper atmosphere, at which point, and only at that point, when he enters the upper atmosphere— Will those rapture verses come true? That's when the rapture verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 happen and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. However, you have been gathered to a safe haven. That's what the Bible always states. So there is no reason for you to presuppose that you're going to be going through the tribulation or if you want to call it the wrath of God. Very good. Call it the wrath of God. I'm fine with that. But take note. You will not go through it. You will be gathered by God himself and protected in his vineyard. I, I'm, not, I'm not lying to you people. Look up vineyard in the book of Isaiah. You'll find it. God says he will gather you to his vineyard and protect you there until the perusia of Christ. That's what he says. That's what he means. That's what he always states. So, Really, you have to get this through your head. When are you going to be changed? When are you going to be changed? You know this, ladies and gentlemen. You know you're going to be changed when that happens is when a man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife. When the marriage is consummated, that's when you get changed. And if you're saying that you get changed before your marriage you're saying that, well, ladies and gentlemen, think about what you're saying. You're going to elope with Christ before the marriage? No. If you think that, you don't know God's word. No, Jesus is not going to play the harlot with his own bride. No, he's not. No, he's not. Amen. He's, he's quite clear. You get changed when you're cloven to Christ. That's at his return. That event happens at the first resurrection. There is no such thing as a pre-trib resurrection. There's no such thing. 
that is an anathema to most rap to most rapturists. When you say it that way, they'll say, no, what are you talking about? Well, <laughs> think about what you're saying. So so when are you going to meet Christ? They will tell you this. Well, <laughs> I will meet him after I'm dead or I will be caught up together with him. You need to take a deep breath, ladies and gentlemen. That's the same event. Look, ladies and gentlemen, my grandmother died and she was buried. But guess what? The Bible repeatedly tells me this. She is not going to be resurrected. She will not have her Anastasius anatomy given to her until this event. So it's the same time I'm going to receive mine. Yes, she receives hers first. And then immediately after that, I receive mine. Don't you all understand that? You all know that. You all accept that. So why have you allowed somebody to trick you into the into believing there's a pre-trib resurrection? No, there's not. We are told that, uh, you know, make no mistake uh, about those that sleep, right? That they will rise first. Like lightning flashes in the east and can be seen from the west. So it shall be at the return of the Son of Man, right? So we're, you know, we're not looking to go. Uh, out into the wilderness or, or into some secret place, right? Like we get all these warnings that we just brush over and we don't think, wait a minute, why are we being told these things? Because deception will be everywhere and faith with no foundation will begin to crumble. That's right. And that's really what we're really looking at here is, ladies and gentlemen, the birth pains aren't going to be good. They're not going to be pleasant. And if you're sitting there thinking that there's a pre-trib event, there's a pre-trib event, there's a pre-trib event, your faith's going to snap like a twig. And that's the truth. Yep. Because you have believed in lies. Let me say that again. Your faith is built upon a belief in bald-faced lies. There is no pre-trib resurrection. No, there's not. And you need to know what's going to happen. There's going to come an event that's going to trigger you to flee into the wilderness. And I don't care where you're at. You are going to flee. You know, I bet if I was to ask Jeremy right now, if it was to happen today where he would flee, he knows in the back of his mind. He, he knows where that is close to him. So does Bryant. They know there's probably um, a state park, uh, a woodland area, yada, yada, yada. You know subconsciously where it's going to be. It is going to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen, and it's going to happen. And what are you going to do when this thing happens if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, no, I don't have to go anywhere because I'm going to get raptured out of here? When that word rapture, is the Latin word for rape. It's not in God's word. No, it's not. That's a new har one. Harpazzo? Yes, the word that they use is harpazzo, but I'm going to t be honest with you, okay? This English word, you say rapture, it comes from the Latin word for rape. Yes, it does. You also need to know this. When you look into the Greek, you better do so when, it, when they are telling you that it's harpazzo, because the word in Greek, and I'll tell it to you true. It's arpagimuthia. That's what it actually is. It's not harpazo. It is using 
a different letter than you think it is. It's not harpazo. It's harpajamathea. What you would call a P and a G, great big different thing. And I'm telling you the truth. And in order for you to believe me, you're going to have to find the manuscript yourself and look at it. And it'll stare you right in the face. So you all need to know, why was this word used? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is common knowledge. That word rapture was used repeatedly, quite negatively, in the works of Shakespeare. Now, this is a matter of historical fact. It's a matter yes. of historical fact. That, that, that gets into the... Uh... The whole thing about, uh, you know, Shakespeare possibly being the one who wrote or helped translate the King James Version. Yes, I, I don't want to go too far into that because, you know, right. lots of people use the KJV and there's not. I don't have a problem with the KJV. Right. It's just as good as any other translation. And I can say right. that with authority. I can say that with authority because I can translate either the Hebrew or the Greek. Yeah, and like you said, you know, emphasizing the fact that we we need to like look into words because English just does not do it. You know what I mean? It's just there is so much more detail and in depth when you get into studying the actual Greek or the Hebrew. It tells a whole lot more than like the English language can convey, which is pretty important. Yes, agreed. But we don't need to let this get us off on a tangent here because there's lots of people that are KJV only. For sure, and I still use it. Uh, quite often as well. I just don't hold one in the highest regard, maybe as I once did, although the opposite is true. There are some that I, I hold in a, a much lower regard than I did once did. And that's, uh, you know, thanks to, uh, you know, some of your work a few years ago, just the difference between a translation and a transliteration and a paraphrase. And if we don't understand these things, then we can easily be misled or deceived. Yes. Yes, exceptionally so. Um, we do need to address that, that, that this idea of a rapture is tied at the hip to the KJV Schofield Bible. There is no separating the two. Right. And that's very important to mention that it's a Schofield KJV, because that, that got really popular in, what, the 70s? Oh, it was it, it was more. Yeah, that that's when it really exploded, because, well, that was. This was done in concert with the release of certain movies at the time, which at that time it was A Thief in the Night. Mm. So I was going to ask how that correlated with certain uh, entertainment eschatology scenarios, you know, uh, some of the more popular ones. I'm not sure uh, when those first made their rounds. Uh, I was going to ask how that correlated to the, the popularity of the Schofield. Well, let's talk about this. Was there any curriculum in existence that taught a pre-tribulational rapture before the Schofield Bible? No. Let me say that again. No. The first, it was invented in those notes to the Schofield Bible. There was no curriculum for a pre-tribulational rapture before then. Do you understand what I'm saying, Brian? Literally at that time, if you was to... Let's say you was a Catholic church, a Baptist church, whatever. If you wanted to get curriculum to teach the pre-tribulation rapture, it was not in existence. It did not exist. So they were introduced through the footnotes in this yes. Schofield King James Version. That is correct. Now, and they, just as a study guide. Yes. Jeremy, you wanted to say something? 
Yeah, I just wanted to bring up how, um, you know, that specific crowd always tends to use, um, they, they try to the best they can, is what I'm going to say, is they it, they use the writings of the early church father completely out of context, completely out of context to try to justify that this view has been around since the early church. And it absolutely has not. You you read them yourself, read it in context, Has no, they have never once spoken of a pre-tribulation. Well, Perhaps they're not. Maybe they're reading different early church fathers than I am familiar with, because uh, repeatedly the early church fathers state what I've already stated. They state that we will be gathered. They never say you will be changed before Christ return. They never say that. They say you'll be gathered. What did I catch you off guard? You need to show me one. One early church father that stated you were going to be changed before the return of Christ. Just all their writings completely agree with the scriptures that that is going to happen at the event, the same exact event of Christ's return. Right. But those that would have a lack of understanding of context and habits of cherry picking verses in scripture would probably use those same practices in studying the early church father's works as well. Well, you know, I can just quote, okay, let's take one of them that they use, which is uh, pseudo Ephraim. Okay. I'm going to, this is a direct quote from him. Okay. Okay, Jeremy. You got it. I'm literally reading his words for all the saints and the elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come. Okay, so if you've heard a rapturist quote this, they're lying. It states the truth. Pseudo-Ephraim plainly states you will be gathered. It does not say you will be changed. So what's your response to that? I would maybe um, draw a question, if nothing else. What, not even percentage, how much do you think is negligence versus um, deception or even ignorance versus deception? Okay, let us be sure. I just read the direct quote from Pseudo Ephraim, which rapturous state is an early church father support for the pre-tribulational rapture. I just read it to you, and that not that is not the case, is it? No. Amen. It and it's that, because they 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 equate uh, the change and the rapture as the same exact event. A lie is a deception. Pseudo Ephraim never said you were changed. It said you were gathered prior to the event. That's what all the verses I quoted from in Isaiah states. So I'm going to have to answer you direct, Bryant, with the truth. This is not a matter of not doing the research. A lie is a deception, okay? He never said there was a pre-trib resurrection. He never said that. So we have more clear examples of serpent-style scripture twisting. Yes. Yep. Yes. And I could do this all day long. So when we're faced with questions like uh, there will be two threshing and then, uh, you know, one will be gone. That is correct. Well, right? one will be taken. So <laughs> let me ask everybody something. So 
everybody assumes, wow, I'm going to say it, and it's just so amazing when I get to do this in a classroom setting or from the pulpit, and I get to watch people's responses. So does that verse you're quoting for, does it say you're going to be changed? It doesn't, does it? It never said that. It said taken, right? Absolutely. And I worded it in the way that the, the questions normally come my way. Now, because people are picturing themselves standing there. OK, and OK. Watching. All right. Let's talk about something else. All right. So in these verses, before you're taken, you should hear something about dead people, right? I just right, both are alive. Do you understand, Bryant? You have been reading it through the lens of a dispensationalized, raptured mind. Your psyche has mm -hmm. scarring on it. Look, ladies and gentlemen, those verses he's talking about, if it was true, you know this. The dead in Christ rise first, right, Bryant? Exactly right, sir. Okay, so you should hear about them before you hear about anybody spinning at a wheel, right? Or up on top of the roof, right? That's because... What happens is the truth. Those verses you're reading, they're true. They're true, Bryant. Nobody is going to be changed at that event, but you are going to be taken. Do you understand that? I do. Because there was never a resurrection mentioned in those verses. Because if there had have been, that would have been talking about the perusia of Christ and when you get married. And your great-great-grandmother, she has the privilege of marrying Christ before you do. Do you understand that, Brian? Amen. So under no circumstance with you being alive, would you be able to uh, receive or, or be cloven to Christ before King David? That, that's but, not going to happen. But my friend told me, but my pastor said. <laughs> and like yeah. I said, if, if they said that— if they said that, it is not a matter of not doing research. A lie is a deception. But simply doing that research can bring everyone to the point you're standing and preaching from. Well, the problem, Bryant, is this. We have to open those Bibles up. We've got to that, knock the dust off of them. That's, that, that's right, Bryant, because research can't be done in notes, okay? I don't care if it's the... Schofield Study Bible or the 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 woman's Bible. OK, I don't care if you go to the library. Bryant, there's only one thing you can study to study God's word. That's God's word. I can't even read my own notes, <laughs> let alone trying to break down someone else's understanding. How often have I said just in the past 10 interviews, I guarantee we're told that the sheep rep recognize the shepherd's voice. My God speaks to me in a way that only I can understand. How does he do that? Through his word. I have to be reading his word and interpreting that as I write it on the tablet of my heart for it to make any sense to me. It could be clear, crystal clear to you and to Jeremy and to anyone else, right? But we have to open. That's our eyes that can see and ears that can hear. That's that undistracted, right? We fill our heads and our time and our days with all these distractions and just all these things that weigh us down. And we don't understand how much freedom is on the other side of understanding God's word for what it actually says, because we are placing our fear and we're afraid of everything on earth except God. 
Cool. Yeah, and it's it's important, man, to to let everybody know as well that we need to stop coming into studying God's word with this, you, like like bringing it in with all your preconceived notions, because right. you can study all day long, but if you have this preconceived notion or you have are holding onto this uh, theological structure, no matter how much you read, you're gonna read that into the text. Right. That's right. You know. So and that's it's important to just have a clean slate. Like if you find yourself and be open to correction, God's God's word says that God's word is used for correction as well. Right. So you need to be open to being corrected in order to actually be edified. The mind is a funny thing and the heart is deceitful above all things. And you'd be surprised that if I walk into reading scripture with a preconceived notion, words will appear on the paper that are not there. That's deep. <laughs> I, like <it. laughs> I like that one. That that one's worth quoting. You know, let's just all take a deep breath, okay? Now, put this in context, okay? Remember what I've taught you so far tonight. You know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, if the Bible is going to talk about the rapture, it's going to first talk about the dead rising, okay? One verse. Psalm 106, verse 47, I'm going to direct this at Jeremy. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory to your praise. Did you hear the gathering? That's what God's going to do. Do you believe it? Oh, yeah. So with that in tow, you can go to Ezekiel. You can go to Daniel, Hosea, Amos. You can go to Second Samuel. You can go to the Psalms. You can go to Proverbs. Guess what it's always going to say, Jeremy? It's always going to say this right here. He's going to gather you, and he's also going to state this. When you're married to Christ, the dead, they get to be consummated with Christ before the living. It's always going to say one of two things. It's going to say, I'm going to gather you together or I'm going to change you. And if it's talking about changing you 100 percent of the time, it will mention the dead first, because if you think you're going to uh, be consummated to Christ before Abraham, you're not thinking too clearly, Jeremy. There's no way in heaven you're going to be consummated before Abraham. That's not going to happen. Right. It's just, and I mean, it's, it, it's clear too. It's clear as day. It says the dead shall rise first. And, and that's what it means. And, and that's, that's exactly what it means. What it means. Exactly. Yep. So this is stating that the living is going to be gathered into a safe haven. And then all hell's going to break loose on everywhere else on the planet. And and that brings me to a two-part question. Okay. So if, you know, if anybody here is listening, uh Matthew, can you can you let the listeners know uh, or suggest where they should start with this study to coming to to, to come into the understanding of this relocation because you brought up the vineyard part right right and i guess my second part of the question is in your opinion i know that we can't know or right now at least uh where do you think this relocation will be 
do you believe that's going to be some part on the earth or, you know, I know you're, you, you get into the planets a lot with your teachings and stuff. If that's a possibility to be re- relocated somewhere else. Yes, that's a possibility. Because the whole, we know that the whole earth is going to be destroyed. And I could imagine <laughs> us being here in, you know what I mean? In a, in, a, in like a bubble. We know that. When he sets it off. Well, do not understand the concept of new Jerusalem. Right. Now, now you're really complicating the matter now. Brian. Hey, we're going two hours on this show, boys. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, that's a good question. How much time do I have left? I mean, I we got normally time. around that hour mark, but we're not going to cut you off in the middle of any presentation or any point. I mean, we we're here for a reason, for one reason only. So, and it's not to uh, be cut short, right? Okay. Um, that's the Lord's job to cut days short, not mine. Wow, what a very difficult thing you ask. For one, we're all familiar with Psalm 91, right? I mean, this is probably one of the most famous passages of scripture behind Psalm 23. Many, 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 many people love this chapter. I'm going to read it out from the opening. Um, let's do it just in the KJV, just for just to do it. Now, here in this instance, the KJV states it correctly. Now, the mainstay of Maranatha Ministries is a New American Standard Bible 95 update. It states it incorrectly. So, This is actually holding true to the Hebrew. It states, Psalm 91, verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, understand this is true. This here, the secret place is H. Write this down, ladies and gentlemen, in your strong concordance. It's H5643. It's a secret place. Jeremy is asking a very difficult thing. He's asking if this place is an oasis, like it's in the Sahara Desert. God makes an oasis. Or is he stating it's an extraterrestrial relocation? Many people think, and I have long studied, that it could possibly be referring to Europa. So that probably catches people by surprise. What you need to know is this. I don't know. Because of this verse right here, I'm not permitted to know. None of us are able to know where this place is. All we do know, this place, wherever it is, is under the shadow of the Almighty. (laughs) So it very well could be anywhere he sets aside for us. With that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, you need to reread Psalm 91 and understand what's happening. Because... This is how you're going to be delivered from the tribulation. Now, remember, the psalm reads as if you're underneath duress because you are, because you're going through the birth pains. But the birth pains ends by this deliverance to this secret place, this habitable zone that's somewhere. I mean, it really could be a bubble at the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) It can be whatever God wants it to be, but. That'd be tough. That, that's why this psalm is worded this way. You're supposed to know that, that it's at the end of the birth pains. He takes you to the secret place and then all hell breaks loose. Literally all hell breaks loose. But you're going to be here in this place. So I can't answer your question directly. I don't know, Jeremy. I God calls it a secret place because he don't even want the angels to know for a reason because War breaks out in heaven before this event. You do need to understand that, ladies and gentlemen. Read Revelation chapter 12 and believe it. 
War breaks out in heaven first, so God does not even want the angels to know where the secret place is. So take note. After the war in heaven, ladies and gentlemen, once Michael and the good angels win, that's when God sends all these angels to gather you up and take you to this place he's prepared. That's what the Bible states. That's what it means. So where is it, Jeremy? I don't know. Right. I really don't know. But I do know this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's funny how the most protected place on the planet is a prison. But it really is. Unless you're it, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Sorry, you I get, didn't say that. You get my point, right, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. Imagine in this place you're going to be underneath heavy guard. You're going to be absolutely protected. You are not going to undergo God's wrath in this secret place described in Psalm 91. Look, I don't have time to get into this, gentlemen, but we have more verses saying that even the heat's not going to touch you there. Well, what does that mean? Are we going to be someplace hidden from the sun? What does that mean? Well, look, the Bible contains so much data about this, it will boggle your mind. It will literally boggle your mind. This is what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Take a deep breath. This is what the Bible always states. There's coming an end time. And in that end time, there's going to be birth pains. And things are going to get really bad. God himself is going to start the tribulation. When he does, he's going to take you to a relocation event that's an oasis. Imagine it in your mind like that. It's an oasis in the middle of the Sahara Desert. At the end of that time, you're just sitting there literally waiting on Christ to return. It takes 1,260 days. You're going to wait 1,260 days for Christ to return. And you're going to see him coming from that secret place, from this protected place where you're underneath heavy guard. Because Psalm 91 just said it's kind of like getting in the shadow of God. Who would dare touch you in God's shadow? What do you think Michael would? What do you think Satan would? Get a grip. Even the mighty cherubim would not touch you if you were in his shadow. Wouldn't dare. Wouldn't dare. Would never even cross their mind. So no one understand this, ladies and gentlemen. You got to know what is to come. And this is what amazes me is that people refuse to study the Bible. They'll spend all kinds of money on books written by you know, doctorates from Dallas Theological Seminary and doctorates from Moody Bible Institute, but they will never crack open the book of Isaiah. They'll never read it. When he comes out and gives you so much information, it will boggle your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no question you could ask me right now that I don't have the answer to. When it comes to what is to come, I know what's to come. The whole thing lock, stock, and barrel. Does that surprise you? Because, ladies and gentlemen, God did not write the Bible to confuse you. I don't know who taught you that. The Lord God of hosts wrote the Bible to tell you what's to come. He didn't write it to confuse you. So if the information you learned tonight was enough to boggle your mind, 
I've just scratched the surface here. I can tell you who, what, where, when, why, the whole nine yards. I can tell you all kinds of information. You know, and it's all found in the same place. That's right. Maranatha Ministries. <laughs> I ruined your plug for you, all right? <laughs> God's holy word. God's holy word. God's holy word. Amen. It's not found in Maranatha Ministries. Sorry. I'm good, but I ain't that good. Uh, well, you know, it's funny you say that because I wasn't even going to go here, but I thought that I would introduce the listeners to a little behind the scenes. You know, uh, Matthew didn't come on today to plug his book, to plug his show, to plug his channels, to plug his Patreon. He actually refused the request when I told him I was going to give him a spot to uh, to plug because he said, that's not what I'm here to do. So in the show notes today, you're going to find links to trustworthy Bible translations so you can get out of your paraphrases and your transliterations. I just wanted to share that little piece with you because that's where his heart's at. That's what he's here to do. It's not here to bring division, which is exactly what's going on in the world, in the church. It's not here for any of that. Now, I will say that, uh, you know, there there are some verses you may find that might surprise you in the Bible, right? There may be some stuff there that you were unaware of. And I just encourage everyone to get those Bibles out and read them. Don't take any of this because you heard it on By Their Fruits or because you heard it from Matthew Miller or because you heard it from your preacher or your parents. Dig into God's word and let him speak to you in a way that only he can and in a way that only you will be able to understand. Because that's where our foundation for our faith is built. And that's where freedom is found. Right. The chains of fear is heavy and you don't you don't have to carry it. There is freedom found in Jesus Christ, our savior, the only chain breaker. So I just wanted to share that little nugget there as well before, uh, you know, before we look at closing up. I also do like to always give uh, a small spot for each of us. If there was a question that you didn't get to ask or answer, there was a thought that you really wanted to drive home. You know, here's a good opportunity for that as well. And I'll close by saying, Matthew, this is the beginning of many that we will have to, uh, you know, to endeavor together. And I appreciate you being willing to come on and bring this presentation and try to clear up some of these uh, very common misconceptions. You're welcome. And it's it's my uh, it's actually my job. Um. This may surprise everybody, but I have to go to the Bema seat, and I know that. I know that I am going to face the Lord my God, and I know that he is going to require of me a reckoning of everything I did. So it's my pleasure. It's, it's my job to come on here and do this. It's my job to let people know that God wrote the Bible because he loves you, and he's no respecter of persons, and he really don't care if the devil himself knows or not. He's given you his word to show you what is to come, to be comforted in that fact. Yeah, there Amen. are too many promises in the word of God for us not to be comfortable. I mean, death has no sting. And if Christ overcame the world, then we can too, because, you know, greater is he who lives in us and he was in the world, you know. And even though there's a lot of scary things, well, you know, I mean, perspectively, there's some crazy stuff that's going to happen on this earth. But God already told us about it. And he told us that there's a lot of people whose hearts are going to grow cold. So, like, don't let yourself become one of those people. His word is there to feed you, to let you know what's to come. It's there to comfort you. It's there to build you up. It feeds your spirit. And without it, 
And without writing that on your heart, unfortunately, you're probably just going to break like a twig when all that stuff goes down. So you got to really make sure that you're in Christ. Test yourself. Test your faith. And really eat up his word while you still have it, while you're still available. You know what I mean? Like, who knows what could happen in the future? They could come around and snag all your Bibles. What happens when you don't have phone service You can't, or, or your phone's dead and you can't even use it, you know? You can't look up the, the Bible verses on your phone like most people do these days. So it's important to get it into your mind, body, and spirit now so that you're prepared for the end. Amen, brother, for sure. When did God say he was going to leave us or forsake us again? What time was that? I'm pretty sure he said never, right? That means even in the end. Amen? Amen to that. Amen. This has been beautiful. It's been great. I love you both. I can't tell you how important this this discussion is, and I'm just ready to get it out there. So I'm going to start editing on it now and uh, probably just go ahead and push this one on out the door and uh, get it in some ears and feed some souls. So, um, man, I just can't thank you enough, Matthew, Jeremy as well. I love you. I appreciate you, uh, you know, doing this by their fruits thing with me, man. This is what we did it for to get this exact kind of stuff out uh, because it's what uh, really shifted our focus in our own walks uh, as well. So I can only pray that uh, it is received well by the listeners and uh, I, I don't doubt that it will be met with some, uh, you know, interesting views, of course, as well. But uh, send us an email about that. Tell us what you think. Follower of the way 85 at gmail.com or Jeremy plug that new email for me again, brother. Yeah, it's uh, by their fruit, by their fruits, zero two at gmail.com. Well, until next time, Matthew, did you have anything else before we close out, brother? Do you want to close out in prayer for us? Sure, I would most certainly be honored to close out in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, whom we serve through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, Father, and our Savior, thank you so much for the opportunity that you gave to Bryant and Jeremy and I to share with your children. It truly is a blessing. And dear Lord, I pray that you extenuate your grace and mercy to the participant of this program, whether it be here live or in the archive, wherever it may be. Dear Lord, please use us to bring your children, to gather them to your son. Dear Lord, comfort them that you have already given them all the answers they could ever have questions for. Please, dear Lord, please use us to comfort them that you have done exactly what you promised to do. In your son's precious holy name, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. 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 Thank you again, brother. And, you know, I love you guys. We'll catch you later. We'll link up shortly here and see what's uh, on for the next show that you guys want to do because matt's going to be a regular on our show and we love to have him here i hope you guys were all edified so i know i was until we meet again gentlemen god bless and godspeed Thank you for listening to Buy Their Fruits. May the Lord bless the giver, the gift, and the receiver.